0: I'm going to finish this series called Love in Action, and Action, and we're going to finish up with my anxieties or my worries and and uh, but today I thought it'd be important just to just to bring a special message and like break this series, and and talk to you about this issue of a lament. So if you have your Bibles, or electronic devices, you can click to turn to Psalm 142 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to walk through Psalm 142 together, and then at the close, we're going, to, we're going to take communion together. And if you don't have a Bible or electronic device, an app with the, with the scripture on it, no worries, the, the scripture is going to come up on the screen as I read these in a few minutes. And so I want to talk to you about something called a lament, and what I'm learning, especially walking through a pandemic and walking through a crisis, is many Christians do not know what it means to lament. Many Christians do not understand this issue, what it means to mourn and what it means to grieve and what it means to process out your emotion, your hurt and your pain and your questions. You see, the Bible tells us that we're to rejoice always. But the same Bible that tells us to rejoice always, there's this book of the Bible called Lamentation. In other words, this, Christians are the only group of people that can mourn and grieve and worship at the same time. That yes, we mourn, and yes, we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. We grieve from a position not of fear, but of faith. I mean, I'm, I'm watching this happen in the lives of Christians, and a lot of Christians, they're, co- they're, they're, they're comfortable and they're good with, with this issue of rejoicing and rejoicing always, but they're a little bit awkward about the grieving part. They're a little bit awkward about what it, what it really means to grieve. In other words, you, you can hear someone that, like, loses a loved one a dad, a mom, a a grandparent and and they died in their 60s or 70s or their 80s and and all of a sudden a Christian turns to another Christian and says, you know what, I'm just hurting, I I lost my dad, I lost my grandparent and a well-meaning Christian will try to move them quickly from mourning, grieving to rejoicing and they'll say something like, well you know what, you should just be happy you had them as long as you did you should be thankful they're in a better place or someone loses a loved one, and you look at them, and you try to encourage them and say, you know, they just act like it doesn't even hurt. And like, well, you know what? I, I'm just praising God where they are. They're in a better place. And sometimes we move past this grieving. Listen, this last week, Karen and I were on vacation. We were in South Dakota. And in fact is, I think Eli Finley did a fantastic job last week preaching on my behalf. Don't you. Uh, I listened to his message like a couple of times and it ministered to me both times. And, and Eli's been in our church since like, since like the eighth grade. Uh, we, would, we would have hired him sooner. We just needed him to at least get a driver's license. And so uh, or we could hire him. And so we're so thankful for Eli and his ministry and the student ministry. They kick off tonight. And, but Karen and I, we're in South Dakota. And Karen made this statement. She was asking what I was preaching on, and we were talking about it. And she said, well, you know what? When someone's vulnerable to you, when someone opens up their life, their hurt and pain to you, you just need to understand you are now standing on holy ground. And you better ask the Holy Spirit. You better ask God how you should handle that. And so many times we as believers, we want to move them so quickly for mourning and grieving And bring them into rejoicing and worship. And we can do great damage. Because we can tell them that, guess what? God doesn't have an answer for your pain. God doesn't have an answer for your mourning, your grieving. God doesn't have an answer. And you know what happens a lot of times? People will begin to push the Bible away. Because they begin to believe, well, God only has an answer when I'm rejoicing. God only has an answer when I'm going through good times. God has nothing to say to me in my pain. See, that's why Lamentations is so important. That's why the Psalms are so important. That's why when you go through a crisis and I go through a crisis, we have to understand the difference in an emergency and a crisis. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but there's a big difference between an emergency and a crisis. And if you're going to navigate through life, you've got to be able to determine the difference, especially in the times in which we live. For instance, an emergency, I I can be on. I I can have an accident on my my mountain bike, and, and I can break something. I can break an arm, a leg, a hand, whatever, concussion. Karen can pick me up. She can take me to the hospital. It's an emergency. It's time sensitive. It's urgent. Something needs to be done. But when we go down to the hospital, there's health professionals, doctors, and nurses, and support staff. They all know what to do. There's policies, there's procedures, there's protocol. I mean, they've done it hundreds and thousands of times. And yes, it's an emergency, and yes, it's time-sensitive. But guess what? They know what to do. They've done it ton. they got experience. They know what to do. See, a crisis is totally different. A crisis, when you and I walk through a crisis in life, the first thing that happens is, like, there's a threat. Yes, it's urgent. Yes, it's time-sensitive. Yes, something needs to happen, but, man, there is a deeper threat working there's a threat to a family there's a threat to a relationship there's a threat to a cu- country there's a threat to an economy there's a threat to a business there's a there's a threat to the church there's a the threat to a new way of life and all of a sudden there's like this threat and there's a loss of sense of control and structure and relationships and Everything goes south. Everything goes south. See, there, there's a threat, but there's also something else in a crisis that's much different than an emergency, and that is this, is there's, there's a lack of knowing what to do. See, when I go down to the hospital, they know what to do. I mean, they just know. I mean, they've done it. They, they, they have experience. But in a crisis, there's a lack of knowing really what to do. There's going to be a lack of information and no. Nobody really knows, and nobody really knows what's going to happen. And, and as a result of that, all these experts rise up, and, and they're contradicting one another, and you see all this division, and you see these other things. See, in a crisis, just so we're tracking this morning, you cannot come up with perfect answers. And you cannot come up with perfect solutions. The best you and I can do is come up with good solutions and good answers. And then when more of information becomes available, available, guess what? We can come up with better answers. And see, the crazy thing in a crisis is that because of this, because nobody has experience, because I've never met anyone that's lived through a pandemic. Have you? I missed that class in seminary about how to lead a church through a pandemic. I'm willing to guess that when you did premarital counseling, when you got married, nobody sat down with you and said, hey, one day you're going to have to lead your family through a pandemic. When I was a kid being raised, my, my mom and my dad lived through, uh, they were children, they lived through a, a depression. My grandparents, they, they, they led a family through a depression. I know some of the principles of a depression, but guess what? I've never met. fact is, uh, last time we had a pandemic was over 100 years ago. There is nobody on the face of the earth that has real experience of walking through a pandemic. And so as a result of that, a lot of people can, can start criticizing, right? I mean, remember when we could disagree and still be friends in this country? I remember it like it was just 2019. (laughs) It seems like everything shifted and everything's changed. But there's also in a crisis, there's social disruption. All of a sudden, everything changes rules and responsibilities begin to change roles begin to change you know what this is one of the times i'm I'm like glad i'm old and all the kids are out of the house you know who i hurt for i hurt for young families with children i hurt for that single parent their roles have changed and their responsibilities have changed they're working a full-time job in some cases they're working two jobs and all of a sudden, the kitchen table, what once was for breakfast or dinner or hanging out, and now is becoming a classroom. And they're working a couple of jobs, they're working a job, they're coming in, and they're not, now they're having to navigate through this whole homeschool deal. we are in a home where both parents work outside of the home, and some of their roles are changing. They're working in the basement or at home, or everything's changed. And yet, when they come home or when they are home, they've got to figure out how are we going to homeschool these kids. I heard for school teachers. They're having to navigate through this with conflicting answers and ideas of how to handle this and how to deal with this. See, in a pandemic crisis or social disruption, but there's also another thing, and that is there is no end in sight. When I break a bone and I go down to the hospital, they're going to tell me that you're going to wear a cast for six weeks, eight weeks, or physical therapy or whatever. But I know there's an end in sight, and so I can figure, you know what, for six weeks, eight weeks, I can suck it up. I can gut through it, but in six weeks, this deal's going to be over, and it's back to normal in a crisis. We don't know that. That's why in the Psalms, in the Lamentations, people are asking, especially in national crisis, how long, Lord? How long is this going to happen? God, where are you? I mean, what, what, what is the answer to this? Just how? Well, that's why they continually are asking just simply how long? See, here's what I've learned about a crisis. a, A crisis can be dislocating. Things can never be the way they were, and things may never be they were again. And there's no shortcut through a crisis. And God can do some of his best work. I'm telling you, God can do some of his best work in the midst of a crisis. A lament, learning how to lament, can help you understand and come to a deeper meaning, a deeper understanding of God and of us, Of others. It can help you understand about God's faithfulness. And God is true. See, a lament is not from a position of fear. It's from a position of faith. It's from a position to where you and I come to the place and we understand God maybe at a deeper level. We understand ourselves and we understand others at a deeper level. Listen, let me tell you something. If you will lament, if you will walk through a crisis properly in life, you can come out on the other side and something emerges in you deeper. God does some of his best work, what Scripture tells us, in a pit. God does some of his best work in a crisis. See, in a crisis or a pit, what scripture describes as a pit is a crisis. But in a crisis, you know what you and I find out? We find out God is enough. We found out, you know what? We find out God is enough and we can trust him. That we can walk through this and we can trust him. Listen, my life experiences do not determine the faithfulness of God. Your situations, your circumstances, especially in the midst of a crisis, that's why when they would lament and when they'd come to these psalms and then they would come to this place, but God, I'm going to trust in your faithfulness. I'm going to trust in your steadfast love. I'm going to trust that you love me and you care for me. See, Psalm 120 to 134, and there's just some history about this, but Psalm 120 to 134, I'm called the Psalms of Ascent. And so the Jewish people, and actually we've walked this, if you go to Israel with Karen and I, and we just had a group there, uh, it seems like a lifetime to go, but it was actually this year, right before uh, the quarantine and COVID, and we were in, in, in Jerusalem, and we walked the Via Della Rosa, which, the, which was the lowest point in the valley, all the way up to the place of the cross, it is uphill all the way. It's shocking, the incline that you walk, it's tiring, right? I mean, It's tiring. And so the Jewish people, they would take these Psalms, 120 all the way to Psalm 134, the Psalms of ascent, and they would start out in the valley and they would start walking up and it was the picture of God's faithfulness in a pit. It was a picture of God's faithfulness in a crisis. It was the picture that, you know what, if we just keep walking, if we just keep putting one foot in front of the other, we'll get through this. In the Psalms, you see that people are continually processing out their hurt and their pains and their questions and... And sometimes, in the midst of a crisis, God does some of His greatest work that I can't see. And so, when you look at the Psalms, you realize that it's 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 this issue where the Psalms and and listen, there were 150 Psalms, and 67 are Psalms of lament. Just tell you this, just real quickly. You know the Psalm that Jesus prayed on the cross? A Psalm of lament. My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? He's processing out some of his questions and his hurt, and his pain. Sometimes the greatest thing you and I can do as a Christian is learn to mourn, learn to grieve. Because if you don't listen, if you don't, if you don't learn to mourn and grieve and lament through a crisis, you will not come out on the other side better. You will come out bitter and angry, and frustrated with God. You learn to pray your pain out. So I'm going to give you five things out of Psalm 142, just five elements of a lament. I know this may be a lot of new information to you, and it's a lot of theology that we're just going to walk through, because I believe we're in a season where we need some thick theology, and some thick belief about God, and who he is to get through this. And then I'm going to make this real practical, and then we're going to take communion together in just a few minutes. So the first thing is to do, the first part, <coughs> excuse me, of a lament is you address God directly. You, you learn to, you, you take your hurt, you take your pain, you address God directly. We're going to walk through Psalm 142. It says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my, here we go. I pour out my complaint before the Lord. A lament always starts off with a complaint. It always starts out from a complaint. From a position of faith, not of fear. To complain about the Lord, to bring a complaint to him, means that you trust him. It means that this just doesn't seem like your character. It doesn't, I don't understand what's going on here, Lord. You you love me, you're faithful, I just don't understand this. And so, so I bring, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. In other words, you come to the place where you name it and you let it go. In other words, you acknowledge your limitations. Listen, you cannot be all things to all people. In a crisis, it's impossible to do everything yourself. It will wear you out. It will overwhelm you. That's why my next sermon series, after we finish Love in Action, is titled Overwhelmed. How to deal with life when you're overwhelmed. And you have to come to this place in a lament to where you just understand that, you know what? I have to recognize recognize my limitations. Everything's shifted. Everything's changed. I cannot be all things to all people. I cannot do everything. And the psalmists read this, have written this and say this, and you see this in their life. And this comes from a position of faith. In other words, God, if you don't make sense of my pain, if you don't make sense of my crisis, then, then I don't know that I can make it. And listen, let me just tell you something. God is not afraid of your questions. He is not afraid of what is happening to you. Guess what? He knows. And God does some of his best work in difficulty of life or in crisis of life. And the Bible says God desires to meet every one of our needs and he's going to be with us. And David, I mean, when David, King David, when his life, like the bottom dropped out of his life, all of a sudden David began remembering the presence of God. Watch this. It's Psalm 139 verse 7. Here's what David said. He said, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? In other words, he wasn't letting his circumstances dictate his belief of God or the faithfulness, steadfastness of God. Watch this, verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and chill, you are there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. Listen, you will never go where God is not. Regardless of what your circumstances, your situations may be telling you. Your story may read a little bit different than David's. Where can I go from your spirit? Even if I go to the hospital, you're there. Even if I go to the emergency room, you're there. Even if I go to the unemployment line, even if I go through a pandemic, you are there. Even if I go to a hospital waiting room, even if I go to a funeral home, you are there. Even if I go to the kitchen table where I'm homeschooling my kids, you are there. Even my roles and responsibility change at the office and I'm having to work from home and like I hate Zoom and I can't stand Zoom, you are, you are there. God, you're there. Listen, when you understand how to lament, when you understand this issue, you understand that God, you cannot go anywhere where God is not. The scripture says God is not far from any of us. God does not play favorites. All people can enjoy the presence of God, but I'm here to tell you many don't. And they walk through life like there isn't a God and there isn't a God who loves them. As if their strength was their own and they had to come up with perfect answers because they couldn't connect to the one who had the answers. And they live godless lives and they're the ones that struggle. But I want you to understand, you may lose in a crisis a sense of God's presence in your life. Ever done that? I know what it's like to mourn. I know what it's like to go through tragedy. you ever gone through a season when it was so difficult and hurtful you had trouble just sensing God's presence? Job did. When the bottom dropped out of Job's life, Job, Job lamented. He had some questions. Look at this. In, in, in uh, Job 23, verse 8, it says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. And then watch this. All of a sudden he starts transitioning, verse 9. On the left hand when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. Job felt far away from God because of his circumstances, his hurt, and his pain. But then Job resolved in verse 10. Watch this. But he knows. He knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. God is near to you whether you're happy or sad. Where you're going through good times or where you're going through a crisis. See, I, I believe when I've gone through mourning, when I've gone through grieving, when we've gone through some difficult times as a family, you have to understand the qualities, the character of God. And there's some things that I remind myself of that, you know what? Even in these times, God is still sovereign. God is still in control. God, God still knows my name. He hasn't forgotten my name. The angels, the angels still respond to his call. The death of Jesus on the cross is still saving souls. The spirit of God still indwells the saints and still indwells us as believers. God is still faithful regardless of what my circumstances are telling me. God is, God is not caught off guard. We may not have known we were going to go through this crisis, but He did. God uses everything ultimately for his glory. They all fit into his plan, even though I may not understand it. God uses tragedy. God uses hurt. God uses pain to accomplish his will, to accomplish something deeper in me. Sorrow may come at night, but joy and rejoicing comes in the morning. His mercies are new every day. And God bears fruit even in the midst of difficulty. And when Jeremiah, when they went through a national crisis, and Jeremiah says, I will come to the place, I will not fear bad news. Why? Because I know I can trust him. Second thing of this, of a lament is this, is you just simply describe what happens. Verse 3 and 4 says, when my spirit faints within me, you know my, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me that watches the saddest statement of all in this lament. And no one, no one cares for my soul. That's why when someone's vulnerable to you and someone opens up to you about their hurt, their doubts, their pain, you are now standing on holy ground. And how you respond to that is so important. See, this is, this is when the psalmist, and this is sometimes when we come to a place in a crisis and in life and we say, you know what, I don't know... I don't know if I really like the person I am in this season. It seems like I have more stress. It seems like I have more anxiety than future than I've ever had. I'm shorter with my spouse than I've ever been in my life, and sometimes I don't even like the way I act. Or I don't even like some of the things I say. I'm shorter with my children, and I, I seem to be struggling with this area of faith. It seems like I get angry really easy, and anger's just like on the surface. It's in this time when we start saying those words and saying, you know what, I, I, I can't be all things to all people. And I, sometimes I have to admit my limitations. And sometimes I have to look at a spouse or I have to look at a family member, just be honest and vulnerable with them say, I, I'm so sorry. The stress and the anxiety that I'm carrying right now, I'm so short with you. And I, I, I didn't even mean that. I don't even like how I responded. I don't even like what I, what I said. And then you have people that are criticizing them. And it seems like everybody is an expert in this season, right? That's why you don't have to have perfect answers. You just have to learn to love your neighbor well and give grace and give forgiveness. See, it breaks my heart when the psalmist said, No one cares for my soul. This is not a time to isolate. This is not a time to be a hermit. This is not a time to distance yourself from people that can actually help you. This is a time to be open and this is a time to be honest and this is a time to be transparent. I I just don't know. I just don't know how people get through life without God and Christian friends, do you? People that can just speak into their life and people that can encourage them. This is why we have to have a thick theology and not the theology that is driven by emotion and driven by circumstance. The third part of a lament is this. It's just a confession of trust. It's a belief that God hears you. It's just a confession of trust, and, and we, we lament from a position of learning. Man, a lament is a confession of trust. It is trusting God. I mean, one of the most important words in a lament for me is but, or yet. It's a small word, but it's a transitional word. And you hear a psalmist in the Psalms, and he's crying out to the Lord, and how long, O Lord, and why is this happening to me? And I have this complaint. This hurts. It's not good. And then all of a sudden, you come to this place, but I will trust you. But I will trust in your steadfast love. I will trust in your... Yet... Yet I will trust you. And it's a transitional word, and and it's from this position of, listen, we don't know the outcome. Listen, if you're in a situation and you know the outcome, you have placed God in a box. it's a position of trust that, guess what, we we don't know the outcome. All we know is we have to trust you, and we can trust you. Verse 5, he goes on, he says, And I cry to you, O Lord, and say, you're my refuge and my portion in the land of living. He's saying, God, if you don't comfort me, I will not be comforted. And you know, I've learned in life, and it's kind of interesting, but we, we came back from South Dakota uh, when the, the fires were raging in Colorado, and they were evacuating like Rocky Mountain National Park and, and all of that area. And I mean, we're going we're driving through the smoke, and we hit the gap. And so uh, the gap's bad when, when construction, I mean, when traffic is good. And so It was literally insane, you know, when you're pulling up the app and seeing how long is a red line and you know When is this gonna end and like that makes it better, right? And so because we all want to know when it's gonna end and and so I'm we're in this gap traffic And I had a lot of time to think because we were you know, anyway, you don't care. There's a lot of time And I discovered there's two types of people in the gap There's one type of person and you know what they just get angry They get angry, they get impatient. They're trying, you know, they're cutting people off in, out, in, out. They don't really get any farther, but you know, there's one group of people, they're just angry, right? They're angry with the traffic, they're angry with people in their car, they're just angry. There's another group of people. And they're not so angry, they're patient. You know why? Because they understand the master plan. They understand that, you know what, it's a temporary inconvenience and one day it's gonna be better. It's just temporary inconvenience. This fits into the master plan. One day there's going to be extra lanes, one day there's going to be more lanes, and traffic to and from Denver is going to be a lot better, and so they kind of understand it, right? I'm learning in crisis. there's two types of people. The person that goes into crisis, doesn't understand the master plan, doesn't understand God even has a master plan. And they just get angry. They get angry, they get frustrated. Why? Because they don't understand the master plan. But for those of us that can kind of settle in and understand, you know what? I may not understand it. I may not like it. God has a master plan. And because of that, I can trust him. See, this is what a lament would do for people. This is what a lament would do for people in scripture. Here's another principle. It's a prayer statement of what you want God to do. And all of a sudden, it shifts, verse 6. And he says, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. Now watch this. This is when you know you're in a crisis, this last statement. For they are too strong for me. This crisis, bigger than me. This crisis, I don't have an answer. This crisis, I mean this crisis, out of hand will destroy me. Let me tell you something. If you don't properly mourn and lament through a crisis, you will end up bitter, angry. And God may be doing some of his best work. Because it's in a crisis when we learn that we can trust him. It's in a crisis that we can learn that He is with us. And Karen and I, we we, we hiked a lot when we were away, and one of the days was a really hard hike, and we got up early, got to the trailhead, um, it was just Karen and I, I mean, sun. Uh, the sun was just coming up and, and it was just, I mean, we started out in darkness and, and, and so it was just us. And we, we ended up towards the end of the hike. We ended up in this, this part. And it was almost like a spiritual moment for us. I mean, you saw the beauty of the mountains and the wind and how it was blowing through the trees and, and you could, you could, <coughs> excuse me. And you could see the greatness of God and, and all those other things. And Karen says, this is almost a spiritual moment. And so we started taking pictures, and, and then Karen made the comment. She said, you know, the sad thing is, and you probably experienced this, right? But she said, you know, the sad thing is, we're going to show these pictures to our family and friends, and they're not even going to care. I mean, it was a huge moment for us, and we're going to show it to them, and they're going, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're not even, you ever that ever happened to you? You took a really great picture that meant something to you, and you showed someone else, and it's like they don't even care? You know the, you know Why? Because you experienced it and they didn't. For them, it's just information. For you, it's an experience. This is what happens in worship when you truly experience him. In a crisis, it has to move from knowledge to an experience to where you really experience his presence. So the last principle is this. It's just a vow of praise. It's just a vow of praise where God moves. Verse 7, he goes on and says, bring me out of prison. So now he's telling God, this is what I want you to do in my life. I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully for me. If you don't lament, if you don't heal, you'll worship God out of your comfort. And you and I, we need a thicker theology. Sometimes crises, sometimes seasons come into our life we can see God for who he really is we can see ourselves and we can we can see others understand his master plan that everything works together for his good accomplishing his will is everything good absolutely not nobody would call a pandemic good nobody call a terrorist threat good nobody would call cancer good so but everything works together what for his good now listen for you dog lovers I don't want to offend you but I think coffee is man's best friend. <laughs> I just do. And so when we, when we drink a cup of coffee and we say coffee is good, what are we saying? Are we saying the plastic bag that holds the beans are good? Are we saying the beans by themselves are good? Are we saying the hot water is good? Are we saying the filter is good? No. We're saying all of these ingredients are working together for our good, a cup of coffee, the product, what comes out. And that's the same thing that happens. Everything's working together for his good, accomplishing his will. Pastor David's going to come, and we're going to get it ready to take communion together. And I told you, we're going to do communion just a little bit differently uh, this weekend. And in fact, is those of you that are, that are here in the room, we got some fancy new cups that look like an hourglass, right? And so you're, you're going to take communion in just a few minutes, but you're going to take communion on your own, and I'll explain that. But let me just explain these cups so we don't have any accidents. So you got the cup up, you open the lid, you take off the bread, and then it's just real important to the instructions, you want to flip the cup over before you open the juice compartment, right? Because if you don't, we're going to know who you are, and I may make fun of you in the foyer. And so, uh, so that's just a little heads up. But as Pastor David comes, as we get ready to take communion together, and, and l- l- let me just put some flesh on this, and let me just tell you, this, this, is, what, this is what I do. This is what I do almost daily to lament through this and maybe to help you. The Bible says that before we take of the bread and before we take of the juice, that, um, that we need to examine ourselves. And, and I'm just I'm expecting Pastor David to come out of the door just any time now. Just in faith. If not, I'm going to have to send somebody to go get him. So he may be with Dwayne getting shaved ice. I have, here he comes. Great. <laughs> So, three things I do daily to help just lament, and maybe maybe we could use this in your life, to where maybe maybe you would just maybe you'd walk through these questions before you take of the bread and before you take of the juice. The first thing is simply this: is what has the reality of the virus taken away from you? That's a lament. Loss of loss of control. Loss of some structure. Roles and relationships and responsibilities kind of change. You're now a parent, a school teacher, a principal. Man, you're working a job. You're a school teacher, you're an administrator. You're leading an organization that once everybody trusted you, and now it seems like everybody's questioning you. And it's been hurtful for you people that you love and you care about greatly, saying some things, posting some things. So what is the reality of the virus taken from you? That's a lament. It's just crying out to God, Is processing this. The second thing is this, what is the reality of the virus not taken from you? That's an awareness. I still have my family. Still have my kids, I still have my spouse, I I still have a job, I'm still getting paid, I still have a roof over my head. I still have some friends, relationships that I care about deeply. You fill it in. What what is the reality of the virus not taken away from you? What do I still have a relationship with God. And everywhere I go, there he is. And the last thing is this is what has the reality of the virus? given new to you this gratitude. I have a greater appreciation for good friends. I have a greater appreciation for people that support me even when they may disagree with me. Man, I've, I've talked to some families that said that even though the quarantine and some of the things has been difficult, some things have come out. They've appreciated each other just a little bit more. And before this, they were running to baseball and soccer and football and all this other stuff. And all of a sudden, they're spending more family time together, whether it's the lake or the home or bike rides or whatever. Maybe it's giving you a deeper understanding of God. You can trust Him. God is faithful. God is good. I'm telling you, I do that every day. Every day, I ask myself and answer those three questions. What is the reality of the virus taken from me? What has it not taken from me? And then what has it made me aware of or given to me now? Just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together, but I told you we're going to take it differently. I'm going to read a psalm over you, Psalm 121, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to step off, and then Pastor David is going to lead us in a worship song. And when you're ready, during that worship song, you take of the bread, you take of the juice. And then, after you've done that, you can just stand and worship with us as we just close this time. Here's what Psalm 121 says I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? It's a huge question. My help, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, and He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out in your coming in from this time forth forever and ever more. God, speak to us in this moment. Speak to us as we take of the bread and we take of the juice. Father, may we trust you. May we remember that our help, our help comes from you and you alone. And we can trust you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.